Amen. Thank you, choir. Now let's turn our Bibles over to 2 Corinthians. And we want to look at two chapters this morning. I won't read those, but they're the basis of what we're thinking about. And our focus is on verse 15, the last verse of chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want us to think about uh, a thanksgiving cycle, a cycle of giving thanks, and see if we can't uh, learn something afresh and anew. I've read these passages over and over again, and it dawned on me this uh, Thanksgiving season what a, a cycle that there is here. Now, I've shared with you in the past that our words for grace, our words for thanksgiving, our word giving... Uh, they either all share uh, 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 an etymological connection, meaning they come from the same root many times, or if not even from the same word, it's the same function or the same action of the action of giving something that is undeserved. Does that sound like grace? See, we receive something uh, that we, we didn't intend uh, to have, or we didn't merit it, or we didn't earn it, and it's given to us. And, and so the word we use in English is that's a, a, a gratuity, that's, a, that's a, a gracious thing. It wasn't expected. And so what do you usually do when something like that happens to you? What do you do? It, it wells in up, you, well, thank you for that. I uh, didn't uh, anticipate that, didn't think about that, and here you've showered with me with something, and so we give thanks. It's just a, a natural link that we want to do that. Uh, let me ask you, uh, all of us, without embarrassing ourselves, how many of you uh, have at one time or another had a substantial debt or a financial burden that somehow through the circumstances unbeknownst to you was resolved? Perhaps at the last minute, some of you are chuckling, smiling, some of you are wincing, uh, but you remember that. Do you remember the rash of emotion that came over you when the dilemma was solved? Do some of you remember that? And you others that don't remember that get with the ones that do. It's, a, and it's an incredible experience, isn't it? And it's something that a provision made, and we're just so grateful. It's like a burden lifted. It's a, a weight taken off. Well, many of us have been the recipients of such benevolence or such gracious gifts. And there's a cycle here that is in first, Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 that focuses more, though, on the other end of that cycle. Uh, it includes both, but it's the cycle of those who want to give, those who want to be the ones that relieve the burden. Those who are the ones who want to do something that creates in the others this magnificent giving of thanks. And it's all because of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 15 of chapter 9. It says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift, for His unfathomable gift. We can't search it out. We can't understand all that Christ is. And a new part of all of this is understanding this whole link here. Thanks be to God. The word thanks is our word for grace. But we translate it thanks because that's one of the major translations of that word where we, when you read in the Bible grace, if it's in context, you could put thanks. That's the incredible link that's there. And it's in our heart when we're, we're saved by grace to give thanks to God. Well, he's saying thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
And here's the link here of the gift. You know what kind of gift this is? This is not a gift just in uh, reciprocity for a gift given you. You know, sometimes we feel obligated. Someone gives something to us, we give something back. Gift giving at Christmas time sometimes gets like that. Well, this is a very different word of four different kinds of words that we translate gift. This is the gift of a sovereign to a subject that's not expected to be paid back. You see that? And you see, that's what Jesus was to us, the gift of our sovereign God to us that we could never repay or we could never give back. And so our only response is what? Thanks be to God for such an indescribable gift that sets us free from our sins and sets us free from the power of temptation and one day will set us free from the very environment of sin and give us a home in heaven for all eternity. We didn't have to pay a dime for it. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to worry and struggle about whether or not we're good enough to get in. What a wonderful gift that was when it dawned upon us. We'd never be good enough to get in, but God gives us that reservation, gives us the blessing of heaven. Because why? Who we are? No, but because of who He is, gracious and merciful. And so when it dawns on us, we become thanksgiving type people. And the cycle then continues on. And that's what I want us to to look at. Look at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Here's where it begins. He says, now brethren, now he's writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, I want to, I wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, uh, these churches in another province. But he says, I want you to understand something. They've received grace by God. And he says, I want you to understand the grace that they've been given. Why? Because it's moving them to be givers. Look at verse 3 of chapter 8. For I testify according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Now, what is he talking about here? Let's remind ourselves. You can remember about this without us reading all of this. But you remember that the Jerusalem church had come on hard times. There was a physical famine in the land uh, where Jerusalem was, the land of Canaan, the land we call Palestine, all of that area, and the crops had failed. There was a great famine. People were literally going hungry. And so the Apostle Paul, as part of his missionary journeys, was relaying this news that the saints in Jerusalem were suffering. They didn't have enough to eat. Well, these particular churches in Macedonia said, well, God has blessed us with the message of the gospel from our sisters and brothers back in Jerusalem, and they're suffering now. Would it be good if we could give an offering of provision that the apostle could take back to Jerusalem and be a blessing to them, to feed them, and to help them and to do that? And this theme of this Jerusalem famine and crisis, it's in a lot of portions of our, our, of our Bible where Paul, in the midst of what he's doing, is administrating <coughs> excuse me, and orchestrating this gift. And that's what these two chapters are about. But what I want us to see is that grace started it. Grace was in the Macedonian churches, and they were so grateful for Jesus and for salvation, they said, can we give a gift? And it moved them to grace. Then go over to chapter 9, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 11, and notice this. 
the result of their giving was what? That you, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Do you see a cycle? God gave them the Lord Jesus and blessed them to the point that they wanted to give to be a blessing to the Jerusalem church. And Paul says, and the Jerusalem church, the result of your gift, remember the debt you had? Remember the financial thing? The result of your provision is doing what? Is making them give thanks, is producing thanksgiving to God. That cycle that I want to share with you this morning, in verse 6 and in verse 19, is called the gracious work. Do you see it there in verse 6? He says he's making arrangements to make sure that they follow through with their intention. He says, and also complete in you, the end of verse 6, this gracious work. And then down in verse 11 there it says, of chapter 8 it says, or not verse 11, what verse is it? Verse 19. It says uh, he's making arrangements of traveling and taking that gift. He says to travel with us in this gracious work. And I believe that gracious work that he's talking about is this physical cycle of gratitude in the giving of thanks. And, uh, and is what he's talking about. Thank you, Robert. <coughs> Man anticipates and says, we're going to have a total meltdown here in a minute if we don't do something. And that's, you know, that's really rare for me. But here lately, for whatever reason, I guess it's old age or, or allergies or something, I begin getting this. <coughs> Gail says, honey, can I get you a drink? I said, no, honey, no, I don't need that. I, know, I think you need that. No, honey, I don't need that. And so now I realize it's a distraction, and, and uh, I appreciate your benevolence. I think if I ignore it, it'll go away. And guess what? It doesn't go away. It creates meltdown. So, But I'm self-conscious, so I'll have to get over self-conscious. I've always watched the speakers always reach down and drink, but I always notice they take the camera off them and stuff and political things. And so I've always been self-conscious, so I'm self-conscious. Get over it. Amen? Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. There's this cycle. Verse 11 of chapter 9 really lines it out. Let's look at that verse 11 of chapter 9. This gracious work, this gracious cycle. He says, you will be enriched in everything. Now put yourself in the you. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Now that's a funny word, but the word liberality is a word meaning to give, to be a liberal giver, the one that freely gives. And it says you'll be enriched in that, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. See, it's through us, God providing to us, enriching us. See, that's grace. He enriches us then to, with liberal giving to someone else, produce thanksgiving uh, to God. And notice that, though, but it's through us. It's through us. Without us, it doesn't happen. It starts with God who enriches us in all things. That's us, you, enriched in all things. But if it just stopped there, that would be the end of it. He says, but no, it's, it's, you're enriched for liberality, for giving, that through you, through us, the recipients of that gift turn their thanksgiving not to us, but to God. That's the amazing cycle that here. He, he lists it out again in verse 12. Look at verse 12 now. He says, for the ministry of this service, talking about that benevolent gift to the Jerusalem church, 
the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So your gift, this is the time of year people solicit gifts from you. And you need to realize that it's just not a point of me giving a gift and giving it to someone, but your giving, your liberality of giving, is not only meeting the needs of that charity that is asking from you, but it is also producing something that you may never see, and that's that thanksgiving to God. The recipients of the charity that you write the check for or that you give to the thing. And you may never, that's the end of it. You hear the thanks of the person getting the check or whatever. Or if you mail it, you may not even see that. But down the road, God is saying, it's not only supplying the need that you gave it for. But what does he say here? He says it's overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And that's that cycle that I want us to focus on and, and, and to see this thing. Now, then, then look at verse 14. Something else happens. It says it comes back to us again. In verse 14, he says, While they also, that's the saints at Jerusalem, by prayer on your behalf, we're putting ourselves in their place, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. See, they've seen that God has a surpassing work in your life that motivated you to meet their need. And not only did it meet their need, but they gave glory to God. And then something else happened. They had a yearning or a longing back to you because of what? The grace that God had done in you. Now, is it just me or do you see a big cycle here? Starts with God, goes from me to someone else, meets their need. They give grace to God, but then they somehow say, what about that person that did that for me? And they did that for me because of why? Because of the surpassing grace of God at work in them. I'm belaboring the point because I really want us to see this this cycle. And verse 15 is the, the capstone of it. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It wouldn't have happened any other way. Now think about it this way. We are used of God to get others to thank God. Now, have you ever really thought about that? I haven't thought about it in those terms. That God wants to use me as a recipient of his grace to be motivated to give to meet someone else's needs, not just to meet their need, but to get them to give thanksgiving to God, glory to God. Now, I want you to think about it along these lines, that our role in the salvation of others is tied to gratitude. It's tied to my gratitude for my salvation that moves me to want to give, to meet the needs of others, just like my need has been met. But as I give in that fashion, do you understand that my giving softens a heart, opens a heart by a natural action of that need being met, that they want to give thanks to God. It's almost uh, uh, just, there's almost a link you can't break. I've known pagan people who don't really serve the Lord, love the Lord, go to church or anything else, but when something good happens to them, what do they say immediately? Thank God. (laughs) They even say it kind of funny because they're not used to saying it. Have you ever noticed that? Thank God. Just pagan folk, they just really don't, you know, there's just minimal understanding about God No service of God in their life. But when something good happens, thank God. Thank God. And what I'm saying, there's a a connection of grace in here that God is using our role, is tied to our gratitude in giving to others to help them begin to think 
I'm not self-sufficient. I need the help of others. And there's just a step away from that to needing help and salvation. And all of this is, is God uses in an overflowing way for them to begin to thank God. Now, I want you to think about this. Can you truly thank God without being saved? Not truly. So that flippant giving God of thanks is just the beginning of that process of really considering, am I embittered at God or am I grateful to God? Do I owe my life and every breath I take to God or have I somehow earned that myself and I'm getting the short end of the stick? See, people are either bitter against God or they're grateful to God. Life circumstances, life is hard. It'll either make us or it'll break us. I think the, the circumstances of life, I see people make two responses to the circumstances of life. Why did this happen? Why did God let this happen to me? And there grows a bitterness. Or I see an amazing miracle of grace that bad things happen and yet they're thankful to God for things I just take for granted. They'll have difficult circumstances, and yet they give thanks. Think about our heritage, the pilgrims. Think about Thanksgiving Day, the first one. Do you understand that the pilgrims made seven more graves, made seven graves for every hut that they built? Seven graves for every house. And yet they're the ones that said, let's give thanks to God. Does that strike you as odd or amazing? Out of a destitute situation flows gratitude to God for Squanto and the Indians who came and saved their bacon. Not metaphorically, not literally. Saved their venison. And provided for them. And they said, what? Let us give thanks to who? The Indians? No. To God. But let's get our Indian brothers over here and let's celebrate. There is a yearning and a longing for them to rejoice and to thank God because of the grace that was given ultimately and brought them and met their need. Look at, look at our chapter 8. The same thing is happening. Look at verse 2. He said in verse 1, I want you to understand what's going on with the Macedonian churches. But he says in verse 2 that in a great ordeal of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality or their giving. The Macedonian churches weren't rolling in dough. In fact, they were deeply afflicted. They were having an ordeal of afflictions. Why? Because of their faith in Christ. They were being ostracized. They were being persecuted. They were losing things. They were in deep poverty. And yet in that deep poverty, that severe affliction, out of that they said, we're saved. God has saved us. Can we give to the saints in Jerusalem who sent the Apostle Paul so that we could be saved regardless of these terrible circumstances? How incredible is it that it seems the most negative of circumstances tends to breed the greatest gratitude? Well, I think of another one. Turn in your hymn book to number 556. 556, hymn 556. You're probably very familiar with it. Probably don't know the story behind it. The story is of a German pastor, Martin Rinkart. I hope I'm saying that right, Martin. Rinkart. You look in the bottom of the, pardon me? Sounds good. He's the one who wrote this. When did he write this? He wrote this. 400, almost 400 years ago, 
When was that? I can't get used to that. That's the time of King James England. But he's in Germany. It was a time of a terrible 30 years war that had been going on from 1618 to 1648. People say the war on terror is going to be over soon. Listen, probably won't. Can you imagine if the Lord tarries that 30 years from now we're still dealing with a war globally on terror? Could be. That's why we really need to pray. That's why we need to ask. Well, this pastor was one of four pastors in this town. And he was the only pastor there, left. Because why? The other had died. Two had died. One had left and said, this place is miserable. I can't say it. Why? Because the plague had come. Not only war, but pestilence. And plague had come to this town. And it became a site of refugees. I want you to understand this. He buried, listen to this, he buried as many as 40 to 50 people every day, seven days a week. 40 to 50 people. Of one of those 40 or 50 funerals in a day, was one of them became his wife. And he buried her. And you think in, in, in the May of that year, where he had to bury his own wife and buried all these thousands, a totally 4,480 funerals this guy conducted, would he be grateful to God? He's the one that penned the hymn. Now, thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, whose wondrous things hath done, in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Now that blows me away. I mean, we can sing these hymns of, of gratitude and thanksgiving, and we think, well, that, that person all had it hunky-dory. No, he buried 40 to 50 people a day. A day and wrote such a hymn of gratitude. That, that's just amazing to me. Out of this great ordeal, out of our pilgrim fathers, uh, sometimes we wonder, you know, why have we been so blessed? Well, this is it. This is the cycle. We've been gifted so that we could give. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 10. Peter says, As each one has received, now my text, if you'll notice, NAS, you that are reading that, special is in italics, isn't it? Which is meaning that they're, the translators are providing that because they, it makes better sense to them out of the context and what they're trying to get us to grasp. But it could equally be translated as each one has received the gift. The gift. What, what gift? What special gift? Is he talking about a gift of service or ministry? Probably. But he could be talking about the gift, the indescribable gift, the gift of the Lord Jesus that begins all the gifts of giving. He says, as each has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, as we've received Christ, now minister that by giving to others and, and, and you'll be a good steward of this manifold grace of God. That's his intention. Go over to Titus. Go back to Titus. Titus chapter 2.
And look at verse 11 of chapter 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It says grace has appeared. We've seen it. It brings salvation to all men. And it, was, it instructs us in how to live. Deny ungodliness. Worldly desires. Live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age. While we look what? For the blessed appearing, the coming of our Lord Jesus. But check for verse 14. Who gave himself for us. Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Do you see the cycle? What did Jesus do? Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from everything so that he could make us different and purify a people who are given over to good deeds. Doing good things. That's what Jesus did. He gave himself. What does our text say back in, in uh, 2 Corinthians? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in this tremendous chapters of giving, what does it say about, about Jesus? He says what? He says, he who was rich, verse 9 of chapter 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich, rich for a purpose. See, Christ took his riches and stripped himself of it, became impoverished. He's the indescribable gift that we would be redeemed. And he did it to make us rich. Rich in what? Salvation. Rich in gratitude. Rich in, in wanting to give and be zealous to do what? Good works and benevolences and charities. And listen to how this cycle works here in, in, in verse 14 of chapter 8. Look what it is as we close this morning. He says, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, that their abundance also may become a supply for you want, your want, that there may be equality. See, there's something that's going on here in the Macedonian churches to help the Jerusalem churches. He says it's going to be reversed later on. They're going to later on give an, have an abundance that's going to help you. In fact, they already had. They had the abundance of the gospel. And they brought it to the Macedonians. And then they, out of their poverty, gave a gracious gift that met that need. And he says this cycle is going to go and go. What's the point of all this? Well, I want to ask ourselves, where are we at the point of the cycle? Where are we? Are we more on the recipient end? Are we more on the giving end? Or have we cycled through now and needing to be on the receiving end again? But where are we on that cycle? Wherever we are, listen to me, God is able to provide for us what we need to keep this thing going. Look at chapter 9. And I want you to see verse 8. Look at verse 8. And God is able. You ought to write that down. Jot it down. Underline it. Put an asterisk by it. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's great. No, it doesn't end there. That always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Do you see it? He says, and God is going to grace you. He's going to make grace abound to you and that you'll have all sufficiency in everything, not just for your blessing, but so that you'll have an abundance for others. 
And that abundance, he says what in verse 10? What does he tell us? He tells us he's able again in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, God is able. And he's in all of this purpose to increase your harvest of righteousness. And that's the invitation. Where are we? Are we producing a harvest of blessing to other people? That's what God's intention was from the very beginning. Because in that harvest of blessing others, guess what? They ultimately give glory to God. They give thanks to God. And hopefully, as we present the gospel, it becomes more than a generic thing, but an embracing of God and saying, instead of being bitter at God, I'm grateful to God, not only for relieving my load, but for sending the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this, this cycle of thanksgiving. It's this cycle of being grateful for what God has supplied to me. Now let me ask you very pointedly. Do you feel like you've been supplied? Oh, we're so rich as Americans, but sometimes I think in our abundance we're the most dissatisfied people. Why? Because we don't have what the neighbor has. We don't have as much as the other. But if we'd only look more worldwide, we'd see the glut of things that we have. I don't think it's an accident. It's almost a picture of American society that our church sits between two storage facilities. Think about it. You have storage facilities over here. Why? Because we've got too much stuff and we need to store it. We've got storage buildings over on this side because why? Those storage is not enough. And we've got to store some more stuff. And what, is, what did Jesus say? He said, what are you laying up treasures for? In heaven or on earth? And the most of our world is what? Me, mine, and ours. Our four and no more. Let's get it all. Can it and sit on it. See? But the cycle of thanksgiving, no, is to remember how wonderfully relieved you were when someone met your need. And you just gave glory to God. Remember that and then be used of God to meet other needs. And to be increasing in a harvest of doing it. You know, Gail, she's not here. I guess it's intentional. Uh, she didn't know I was going to say this. But Gail is so much different than me. I am grateful to God every day for Gail. Because Gail would give everything we have away. And it drives me up the wall. See? But I need Gail to understand that this cycle of thanksgiving, she's more in tune with that. You know what Gail does? She, she, she has this mad money that she collects up all year. See, she won't have anything to do with the bills. It's too discouraging for her. Now, I don't want to, honey, just do that, do that, do that. So I, with my quicken, try to be a good steward of all that stuff and all this stuff. And, and she doesn't want to be bothered. Why? Well, it discourages her see all these bills and all these different things. So she knows that things can be tight and everything. So she squirrels away all this money through the year. She hides it and saves it, squirrels away. So that when we go on vacation, you know what she does all during vacation? She, without trying to let, not let me see it, she gives all my children all this money. She said, here's some mad money. Here's some mad money. What are you doing? Nothing, nothing, honey, nothing. Here's some, here's some money. And it's given her more joy to give away all this little mad money and guess what, my children, they're delighted. <laughs> I mean, they're, you mean, this is for, no, mom, no. Great, great. And then they go do what? They hit all the malls. 
Or the other things that, see, they, they, they just wanted to get to the beach, but they didn't have any money. But now they're at the beach, and now they've got mad money. Do you see how that makes people feel? What I'm trying to say is that it's a little parable of how spiritually God wants us to be grateful for the gift given to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're looking to do what? Give and be zealous of good deeds to make people say, my burden's relieved, my joy is increased. Oh, thank God, what a great God. And you know what? The longing of that back to the giver opens the door of opportunity to share Jesus so that what might be a flippant thank you becomes a personal salvation experience. Boy, do I need to learn from Gail? I really do. Because it is not my nature to be so zealous in giving and giving. And what I'm saying to all of us this morning, let's get into the cycle of thanksgiving. I know most of you have known know Christ as Savior. You're already on the cycle. Many of you have a great harvest of righteousness, of good deeds. God's given you a heritage of doing it. Gail is one. I want to get there by the grace of God. Let's ask God to do a work in our heart in the cycle that others would give glory to God. Let's pray together. And let's stand together. Father, we bow before you, so grateful for the indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not always as in tune with the cycle that that thanksgiving ought to produce in us of giving to others all kinds of things, things to meet needs, things to increase joy, things that they have need of, that they would give a overflowing gratitude and thanksgiving to you and even have a longing for the gift giver that would open doors of opportunity for us who know Jesus to share his love so that they could truly thank God for his indescribable gift. We thank you for such a Savior that so changed the Macedonian churches, that so changed the Jerusalem saints to give the gospel, even though they had to be pushed to do it. Father, we recognize our nature to have to be pushed so we're asking as we sing the hymn of invitation and consecration to push us, to get us beyond our comfort levels in this cycle of giving of thanks and thanksgiving and giving to others, that you'd be glorified by others coming, going from bitterness perhaps to a thanksgiving for the grace given to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant it for your glory, for our usefulness in your kingdom, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.